0: Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another edition of Bavarian Podcast Works. This is Chuck Smith, and I'm here to bring you the weekend warm-up, BFW's weekly show where we hit on all the biggest news of the week. Uh, as you might have seen already, it is a very condensed week for both Bayern Munich and for our podcast schedule. In case you missed it, if you're looking for our preview show, I did a combination post-game wrap-up of the of Bay. Pokal match and a preview for this week's Bundesliga match between Bayern Munich and Arbe Leipzig. So if you get a chance, check that out. That's where you can get all of the game coverage from the Pokal win and also this weekend's big, big matchup that will have huge implications in the Bundesliga title race. So uh, I'm stoked for that game. I know a lot of people are too. Arbe Leipzig is a very talented side, a very exciting side. I am uh, really, really looking forward to seeing that one and how it plays out, especially after Leipzig pretty much kicked Bayern Munich's butt in the AFL Super Cup, which came as a a surprise to most people, including myself. Uh, I still think Bayern Munich is a far better team, but this Leipzig squad has enough talent, enough speed and enough depth to really give Bayern some problems. I don't think it will happen this weekend, but... As that Leipzig squad matures over the course of the season, they really could become a thorn in Byron's side. Either way, uh, you want all of that talk, catch that podcast, which dropped yesterday. But for now, we are going to hit on a lot of the big news this week. And there was uh, a decent amount of <laughs> big events that happened. And, and first and foremost, the injury to Serge Ganabri, which A broken forearm is not a major injury by any means in terms of, you know, keeping him out for months and months. We're looking at a six to eight week turnaround with him being out, which is not terrible. All things considered, Uh, it was a weird collision with Johanna Schenk, the Bayern Munich goalkeeper who was on loan at SC Munster, and At first, I didn't really think Gnabry was all that hurt, but the way he was holding his arm, you could tell something was up. And of course, this presents a problem for Bayern Munich and Thomas Tuchel. We know that Thomas Tuchel was very critical of Bayern entering this season with a limited uh, roster. And to lose Gnabry, it sounds weird, but it's probably one of the positions where Bayern has the most depth uh, that wing spot, you could really play any number of players there. But primarily, we've seen Gnabry, Kingsley Coman, and Leroy Sané man that position. The good thing is, uh, and it's never a good thing to lose a player to injury. That's Let's get that out of the way. I mean, Gnabry was playing well, uh, establishing himself under Thomas Tuchel this season. And it's a shame for him to be hurt. But at the same time, Bayern Munich does have the depth to cover him. You know, you have Sané, who's having a career season right now. This is maybe the best he's ever looked. Kingsley Coman, well, not the scorer that I think a lot of people want him to be, is the word I always love to use around him. is just He's totally disruptive, and he he has continued to show that he can break down a defense from the outside in. Uh, And we also have Matisse Tell, who is emerging as... A super sub, a combination wing striker, someone who can fill both positions on a short-term basis right now. Of course, I think a lot of fans are looking to see him play a lot more in the long term. But for now, with this group, Tell has really adapted to that super sub role, has done tremendous with it. Uh, even in the opportunities where he's had a chance to start, Tell has really proven himself he had that one rough matchup, ironically, against RB Leipzig in the DFL Super Cup. But since then, he's been really, really good. Uh, you have to like the progress that he has, uh, has shown there. Now, for Gnabry, the break does come at kind of a weird time as well because he has been linked to both Manchester United and Real Madrid, which is very curious. Uh, there has been no indication that Serge Gnabry is looking to leave. And we do know that the turmoil surrounding Jaden Sancho at Manchester United is driving those rumors. And, and the fact that Eric Ten Hag wants to replace Sancho, who will not be rejoining the United team anytime soon. He wants to replace Sancho with a player who can provide the kind of scoring spark that I think United really wanted out of Sancho. And Gnabry definitely fits the bill. He is certainly a player who can score. He's got a nose for the goal. Uh, He can penetrate from the outside and make things happen. And I think he would be naturally a great fit at Manchester United. But I don't think Bayern is eager to let him go. I'm not sure Gnabry is really on the same page uh, with these rumors and would like to go. But if he does, this whole injury does present Bayern Munich a chance to take a look At what it has, should a player like Gnabry or Coman decide that they would want to move on? And of course, over the course of the last two months, or not two months, but six months or so, we have seen different rumors linking Leroy Sané, Kingsley Coman, and Serge Gnabry, all with exits. So in my mind, I'm not super worried about losing any of them, although they would all be big losses. And I know it sounds weird to say that. Um, losing any player, the caliber of Sané Coman or Gnabry would, would be tough. And it would be something that is felt on the roster, but if there's anywhere that Bayern Munich is equipped to absorb a loss of one player, it's probably at wing. And there's a couple of reasons for that. One is tell who is proving more and more with every appearance that he deserves more playing time and really should be included in a rotation at wing rather than just be considered a super sub. Uh, you know, for years, I think we've all kind of relied on Bayern Munich having four quality wings at all times, just because the position requires so much physically out of the players that man it, that you need to have that kind of depth and, and entering this season. I think most people thought that it was, you know, a, a position at Bayern Munich that would be three, three men deep. And, you know, with Coman, Gnabry and Sané, I mean, those are three world-class options, And granted, they all have a little bit of an injury history, but I think most people felt confident in that, but just a little bit unsure about what would happen if there were multiple injuries sustained by those players. Now we know that Tell can aptly fill that spot. Uh, He has shown the dynamicism that, that Bayern Munich wants out of its wingers to be able to break down defenses, to be able to get up the line quickly, to use his footwork and creativity to create offense for himself and others. I think that that is a shoe in, you know, Thomas Tuchel could also roll out Jamal Musiala as a wing if he wanted to. As much as I want to see that because I loved Musiala at during his time playing wing. I don't think that unless there is an absolute requirement for Musiala to play out there that we'll see that uh, my theory has been with Musiala is that Byron has a very tenuous hold on him. Of course, contractually, they have a while before they have to worry about anything going down with Musiala. And we'll talk a little bit about some rumors involving him later, but Musiala in my mind is a player that Bayern Munich is going to keep happy no matter what. So if he wants to play the 10, he will play the 10, even if it comes at the expense of maybe rolling out the best possible starting 11 for the squad. So knowing that you have this limited option. So with, with Gnabry out, I'm perfectly fine with absorbing some of those minutes, perhaps even getting some starts to keep the rotation going. It's a very good spot for Thomas Tuchel's team to be in, to be able to lose a player like Gnabry and have such good quality and such good depth. And even those exterior options like Musiala or Muller, if you had to play him out there when he eventually gets healthy, there are plenty of players who can go out there and fill that role. And, And we always forget that, Alfonso Davies is a wing by nature. He really only started to play left back. And I know it wasn't the first time he played left back, but he really started to exclusively focus on the position when he came to Bayern Munich. So he could shift up and play some time at wing as could Franz Kratzig as well. So there are plenty of options. So if you were going to lose any player and not that you ever want to, but if you were going to lose one, this is about as good a time as any for Bayern to be able to absorb an injury to a wing because they just do have a lot of quality options and they have different ways that Tuchel can go and he can mix and match depending on who they're playing and how he wants to attack that team. So it's very unfortunate for Gnabry, uh, especially if if he does really want to leave. And as I said, I don't see any indication about that. You know, if he's really trying to showcase himself for Manchester United or Real Madrid, uh it's a tough thing for him, but I don't think that those potential transfers are an issue for him at this point. I think those are things that are being floated out there because Manchester United obviously has a need. Real Madrid is always looking to upgrade and always on the hunt for talent. They're just two naturally, I guess, big clubs that would be linked to a player like Gnabry. And I know Gnabry has been a divisive Player among the Bayern Munich fan base because the merc- mercurial nature of his game it frustrates people. Sometimes he experiences the highest of highs and he looks like a dominant wing, and other times he just look like looks like he's out there going through the motions and he's ineffective. Uh, hopefully, this will allow him while he's healing up his forearm to get his legs rested a little bit, and then he takes advantage of. The time, the downtime now, because I, I do have a feeling that when he comes back, he's going to be one of the top two choices at wing for Thomas Tuchel. I think when when push comes to shove and Byron needs to really roll out a champagne 11, that it will have Sané and Gnabry as the starting winger. So if you want to try and look at the silver lining of this, hopefully it gives Gnabry's legs a little bit of a rest. Because when that stretch run of the season happens, I think he is going to be a player that Tuchel leans on quite a bit. And I wouldn't really, honestly, worry too much about those rumors at this point for Manchester United or Real Madrid. Gnabry has, he'll have many, many options if he wants to leave. But until he starts to indicate that it's something that he would like to explore, I think we can just disregard those but one of the things that when you assess this injury to Gnabry that you start to look at and it's been a big hot topic among the Bayern Munich fan base it is the small roster and and Tuchel is a is a manager who he is aside of being very outspoken which again another thing that we'll cover in a little bit he is someone who values having a big roster and when Bayern ended the summer with a couple of holes with not quite the depth that he liked. Tuchel did voice his displeasure. There were also some other stories that indicated, without quoting him directly, that he was unhappy about the situation. But either way, I mean, Bayern Munich was in a tough spot with a couple of players. When you look at a player like Josip Stanisic, it's easy to see that loaning him out would, would potentially be a problem for Bayern Munich. Stanisic could play as a center back, an outside back, a wing, a defensive midfielder he could do so many things it's tough to replace someone like that on the roster however for Bayern Munich to really understand what they had in Stanisic I think that he had to go out on loan and we've covered this topic before but Stanisic is really at the make or break point of his career Bayern needs to figure out if Stanisic is going to be the kind of player who could either eventually be a starter for them Or be a top sub that they can depend on in in big situations. And we've seen glimpses of what Stanisic can do, particularly playing for Croatia and in some of his appearances with Bayern Munich. He can play at a top level. Can he do it consistently? And I think the goal for Bayern Munich was to send Stanisic to Leverkusen, knowing that they were going to be a strong side, knowing that Stanisic was going to be able to get a chance to play in Europe, that he was going to be able to play in high level matches in the Bundesliga. I think that was the intent, and it's been kind of mixed so far. He probably hasn't gotten the amount of playing time at Leverkusen as he would had he stayed at Bayern Munich, but it was still a necessary step for the player to go out on his own and for Bayern to be able to look from afar and assess the situation. If Stanisic was playing right now, if he was on the roster right now at Bayern Munich, he'd be playing because they need him to. At Leverkusen, he's out there competing and he's only going to play if he wins the job or if he wins playing time that particular week. And and I think that says a lot because it will allow Bayern Munich to assess the situation properly. Either way, we all can acknowledge that letting him go was a risky move. And at this point right now, it does seem like it's turning out to bite Bayern Munich, even if it was a good move for the player. Other players that were loaned out, Arjen Ibrahimović, Gabriel Vidovich, Paul Vonner. Those are also players that, if they were still on the roster right now, might have gotten some quality time so far. But again, those were all necessary moves. Vidovich himself needed another lone stint after a pretty disastrous spell last season with Vitesse. Vonner and Ibrahimović are two players who have very good potential, and they are well thought of but they need to spread their wings elsewhere for Byron to accurately assess things. Vonner has hit a bit of a plateau in his career, mostly due to a combination of illnesses and injuries. Unfortunately for him, it's sounding a lot like the the Fita Arp situation in Byron where he could never stay healthy enough to, to establish himself. The only difference is, Vonner was younger. Vonner has still has not fallen into that trap that Arp fell into and feeling sorry for himself and lamenting the situation. And Vonner still has a chance to capitalize on all of his talent and all of his potential, which Arp unfortunately never could. And and that's a really sad thing for him. And we've covered this before, but to see a young player come in and, and some of the situations that he got caught up in with depth and then fall victim to injuries and illnesses, it's tough to watch talent go wasted Unfortunately, it seems like Arp will never be able to realize that potential that he had. For he he's in a good spot. He's going to have a a lot of chances to play this season, and it made sense. For Ibrahimović, he is yet to really make an impact on his Serie A alone. It would be great to see him get more playing time. But these are all decisions that were made because Bayern is looking to see what they have in these players. So when Thomas Tuchel was complaining about that small roster, there were a lot of reasons why Byron made the moves they did. And, and they did add some good quality depth pieces in the off season that, that really do complement the squad and give them versatility. I mean, right now we're seeing that Conrad Limer can aptly pe- play as a midfielder and also as an outside back. We all know that Rafael Guerrero can, can do the same. He can also play some wing. Uh, Franz Kratzig was a very nice uh, revelation really, because He has shown that he can be moved around a little bit. I'm sure that he could play in the midfield. That's his natural position as an outside back, which is where he's really making his name and even as a wing. So Byron is looking to to fill those open spots that Tuchel was worried about with some of the players on the roster. Of course, this week was really an anomaly. When you find yourself with Thomas Muller injured, Matthijs Delick down, Kim Min jay down, and Daya Upamakano, of course, it looks desperate, but what club on earth could withstand the loss of their top four center backs? Because we all forget that Tarek Buckman has been out all season. So, I mean, when Byron's top four players at center back were all out, uh, luckily, it was just a Pokal game that they had to deal with, and Leon Goretzka and Nussar Masrali were able to step in and, and do the job at center back. It, it was really a situation that goes to the extreme, and I'm sure that Makano and Kim Min-Jay, if they absolutely had the play, could have probably turned in decent performances, but given the nature of the opponent, I don't think Tuchel wanted to risk anything, and he was perfectly comfortable playing Goretzka and Mesrali at center back positions because he knew it was not going to hurt the team. Uh, The talent disparity was just so wide that it it wasn't really ever going to be a threat. But as this season goes on and, and we start to see the injuries pile up, I do worry about some of the players on the roster, Thomas Muller being one of them. Muller, it's been weird with him because we haven't been able to figure out what's going on with him or what his role is. He he was injured to start the campaign, started to get a little bit of playing time, but we had heard he was still nursing a, a minor injury, and now he's back to not playing. And I, I kind of wonder why, because we haven't seen any great descriptions about what is bothering him enough that it's keeping him out of matches. What is keeping him from being able to make an impact for this team? And I was one of the people who was just assuming he is not a player that Tuchel likes, but now there really might be more to it if if Muller is nursing some kind of injury that is dragging on a lot longer than anyone thought. And it's those little situations like that, that that makes it tough with a small roster. And I want to be very, very clear. I'm okay with the small roster at this point. I know Byron's going to bolster it in January, but right now I like what we've seen out of this roster, because if not for the supposed lack of depth, we wouldn't have seen Matisse Tell be able to emerge like he has. We wouldn't have seen this great rise of Franz Kratzig as a player who really might have potential, whether that means he becomes a squad player for Bayern in a rotation or, or just as a depth piece, or he's someone they can eventually sell. We wouldn't have seen that, you know, we're not even, you know, tapping into Rafael Guerrero just yet. And think about Limer. I know, well, I, we had heard that he could play right back, and certainly he didn't play it that well against Manchester United. But in his other appearances, he's been really good at it. And We probably would not have seen that if not for the thin roster. So in my mind, it was okay to approach this first half knowing that the roster was going to be a little bit thin because it it was going to give Tuchel the opportunity to test out some of these other players to see what the club had in in bodies like tell and and Kratzig who have taken advantage of it. And and sure. I mean, there was a, a massive amount of risk with that, but I think that the club was very confident in the talent level of these players and being able to step in and make things happen. And when you start to get Guerrero back into the mix, you're going to add another solid player who can fulfill many roles. So the first half of this season, I think it's okay for Byron to have approached it this way. Would it last over the course of the entire campaign? I, I don't know, but I do think Byron will be prepared for that and they will invest some money How they do it and who they do it on are are two things that we'll see in January. But I do think that it's okay to have the small roster right now. And it's actually worked out very much uh, beneficially for Bayern Munich at this point. And it has really opened up my eyes as to what the talent level is for some of the younger players that Bayern Munich has had on campus. Uh, We're going to take a quick break right now, but when we come back, we're going to hit on some other transfer rumors involving Jamal Musiala and Florian Verts, which came out of nowhere. Uh, we're going to take a look into Thomas Tuchel and why there's such a divide among the Byron fans about him. And then I've got some random thoughts that I wanted to hit on. So uh, stick with us. We'll be right back. Hey, everybody, welcome back to the weekend warmup podcast. This is Chuck Smith. And if you missed our first segment, uh, you can rewind back and get that. Uh, We hit on the injury to Serge Gnabry and we took a look at the small roster and why it's not such a bad thing. So uh, if you have not, if for some reason you have not heard it and you just skipped right forward to after our break, then go back and check that out. But otherwise, we'll get moving on one of the more intriguing (laughs) transfer rumors that I've seen. And I don't put a lot of stock into it at this point, but if you believe these things, then you would believe that Pep Guardiola is taking a look over at Germany and seeing how he can build the next generation of his Manchester City squad being powered by a couple of German engines by the name of Jamal Musiala and Florian Wirtz. Now, it's sort of laughable at this point to think that Bayern would ever let Musiala go, but... You know, bear with me on this. Uh, Musiala, leave his contract is through 2026. There's no reason to think there's anything going on at this point or that, that he is close to any kind of move. So I don't think that there's imminent danger of Musiala deciding to just pack his bags and head back to England and exacting some revenge on Chelsea for the way that they treated him on their campus. But it's not inconceivable to think that in 2025, when Musial is heading into the final year of his deal, that he might get the itch to return to England and prove himself in the Premier League. Now, do I want that to happen? Absolutely not. Do I think it's going to happen? Eh, I I don't know. But you have to admit that it's in the realm of possibility because the Premier League has the stature that unfortunately, the Bundesliga will will probably never have uh, as being the top international league i guess you would say on earth and unfortunately for a league like the bundesliga it's always going to have the premier league's always going to have this allure to to get players to come in and compete there uh musiala right now i'm not worried about any type of move but i do think at that point 2025 he will look at things and assess things and and start to think about what's best for his his career and you know, is the opportunity to play under Pep Guardiola in the kind of attacking system that would really showcase the abilities of a player like Musiala, it, is that appealing? And I and I do think Musiala, if there is still interest from City at that point, would uh, at least think about it. And, and you could say the same for Bayer Leverkusen ace, Florian Verz. Now, it seems weird that both Musiala and Verz, whose best positions are as attacking midfielders, would be considered to make a move to the same club. Uh, given that they are around the same age, given that they are both German inter- Germany internationals, it just seems odd. But we all know Pep Guardiola loves the tinker. He loves to arrange systems and formations that are really not, I would say, uh, conventional. And I think it would make his head explode to be able to work with players like Musiala and Verts and take advantage of what they have to offer. Now, if you're like me, immediately you you look at what an attack at that stage in like two or three years would look like with Erling Haaland leading the formation, which I don't think Haaland will be there in three years, but whatever. let's Let's just roll with it. With Holland being backed up by Musiala and Verts, and yeah, that would be a scary prospect at that time. Uh, As for Bayern fans right now, I don't think that there's really much to worry about with that. Leverkusen fans might have a little bit more to worry about because we all know that Manchester City can pay out the wazoo for whatever they want and whoever they want. So if they really do want Verts, I think it is something that he would consider. Uh, certainly, they can offer him a salary that that he cannot get in Germany, and for Leverkusen, it's probably more money than they could possibly even imagine getting. Because you would have to think that that Bayern, in desperate times, if they thought they were going to lose out a chance to get Verts, player that they've been linked to for years, that they would get into the bidding as well. And I think that you know, getting into a bidding war with Man City is not something that anyone wants to do. So Byron is in a, it's a very interesting spot with these players. If we say, if say two years from now, that summer of 2025, which really is, is not two years. It's a little bit less, but if they're in the spot come that off season and they need to make a decision on what they're doing with Musiala and he has to make a choice on what he's doing with his future. Uh, it'll be very curious to see how much Verts plays a factor into that. One of the things that I've heard Byron fans talk about time and time again is it eventually makes sense for Bayern to to play with both Musiala and Verts together. Now, if you play a 4-3-3, that's probably a doable situation. We have not really seen Thomas Tuchel play that way yet. And who knows if Tuchel will even be the coach at that point, but uh, unless you are deploying that kind of system or something to the effect of a three-four-two-one or or something like that, it, it would be hard for me to imagine that Verts and Musial would be able to coexist in in something like a four-two-three-one. Mostly because one playing that same position that's instant conflict. But I really don't believe that there's any desire for Musial to go out and play wing at this stage. Or even then, even if it would mean that he that he and Verts would be able to feature together. Uh, I think Musial is intent on playing the 10 that he'll continue to want to play there. And that if Byron was to go out and get Verts, I, I don't think it would be a situation where, you know, I hear a lot of people saying that that Moose would be that winger. And I, I just I don't see it. I, I think it would have to the formation would have to change and the twosome would have to find a way to play together. It would be very interesting to see what Julian Nagelsmann does with Germany and if he's able to concoct some kind of formation that would give Bayern fans a preview of what things might look like should the team eventually acquire Verts and attempt to play him with Musiala. Nagelsmann definitely holds some key cards there. Uh, we know that he is a tankerer, We know that he's going to want to imprint his own stamp on this German national team. And looking for a way to play Musiala and Verts together, I think would be a way to do that. It would also signify that it's going to be Nagelsmann's unit. It will no longer be Flick's team or the, the the leftovers from Yogi Love. It is going to be the Julian Nagelsmann version of the German national team. And if you know Nagelsmann, you know he's probably already concocted 90 different lineups in 50 different formations. And he is looking for ways to sort things out and who can play best with whom it really should be a lot of fun to see him work his way through that, because we might be able to see situations like this and Hey, who knows maybe Musiala and Verts will play together and they'll do so well that they want to forge a partnership on the club level. Now, hopefully that would happen in Bayern Munich and not at man city, but I guess that's one of the things that we'll have to monitor in the coming years. Uh, as I said, it would, Given that Musial is already at Bayern and and has been very closely linked to a Bayern Munich move at some point in his career, uh, it would not shock me to see the situation develop to where Bayern has both players. But Man City, knowing Man City and knowing Pep Guardiola, if he decides that he's going to stick around that long, it could be an instance that they couldn't really make a hard push to get both players and financially they wouldn't feel the hit really at all. So Definitely something for fans of the Bundesliga to keep an eye on, but right now I would believe there's no imminent danger for either Bayern Munich fans or Bayer Leverkusen fans to lose uh, two of their most popular players. Speaking of Tuchel, Tuchel has become the lightning rod for all discussions surrounding Bayern Munich. I guess I should get my thoughts out on Tuchel right now. I think that Tuchel's a a good coach. I think that strategically and tactics-wise, his plans make sense. He has good ideas. I don't necessarily always agree with them, but I respect his mind. I respect that he's won titles. He, of course, won the Champions League with Chelsea. I think that there are a lot of things about him that are good qualities for a coach. There are some other things about him, I, I think, take away from all of the good stuff that he brings. I think that he's abrasive. I think he's quick to make judgments on players. And I think he is reluctant to change. And I think all of those things over the course of time at Bayern Munich could be nails in the coffin for him, so to speak. But right now, it's really come down to this battle between fans who are either pro Tuchel or anti Tuchel. I really do feel like I am in the middle on it. Like I was very skeptical that a player or that a coach like Tuchel could come in and do the job last season at Bayern Munich to the point where, well, at least to get Bayern to the point where the club executives wanted him to get them to, which is a treble. It was not going to happen in my mind, and it didn't happen. For once, I I was right on something. Uh, Tuchel is not the kind of person that can come in immediately and, and really do what he wants to do, because it takes him some time to figure out what he has, what he can work with and how it should be set up. There were, there were always going to be growing pains. And even the start of this particular season, there were going to be some pain points. And while those pain points have not resulted in the losses, the football was very choppy in the beginning, especially attacking wise. And there will be periods of that. Uh, You know, I don't worry so much that those things will be worked out. I think as the players get used to having Harry Kane there, this, the situation will really sort itself out. But I think tactically and strategically, Tuchel will be able to help the team work through that. Where I do worry about Tuchel is when he enters into these phases where, you know, as I said earlier, we don't know what's up with Thomas Muller. We don't know if the injury is much worse than has been stated or if it's really been bothering him so much that his cut in playing time is is driven by that but that's a situation where it looks like Tuchel hasn't been able to figure out how to use Mueller or maximize him. Now I will say this in Mueller's appearances this season, I think he's been very good. I think I still think that playing Mueller and Musial together is the way to go for this team, but the, that those words fall on deaf ears. I think with, with Tuchel, you look at Gretzka and how he has performed. Tuchel, in my mind, had his own mind made up about Goretzka that he did not want to play Leon Gretzka. He wanted to move on, and one way to do that was to force-feed Conrad Limer into the lineup, show Goretzka he's no longer a starter, and hope that he would push for a move. It didn't work. Simply put, is not as good as Goretzka. Gretzka has taken his game back up to the level where I think a lot of people had hoped he would be all of last season. Goretzka himself is a divisive divisive figure because so many fans don't like him these days. Uh, but I think he's went out and he's proven himself so far. He's had a really good season. I think there's zero doubt that Julian Nagelsmann will call him back up to the German national team in a couple of weeks. Uh, in, in my mind, he's been a big winner from these first few weeks of the season. Uh, it, it, did, it didn't it did surprise me that there was going to be at least one issue between Tuchel and a player, and it looked like he he was trying to avoid having a conflict with Goretzka because Goretzka is a huge personality in that locker room. But he was trying to get the message across that you're not my guy. It might be time for you to to look on and 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 you know, luckily for Bayern Munich, Goretzka did not get swayed by that. Believed in himself and has really gone out to have a good season. The other Tuchel victim has been Maticek, who. Again, it's been a little bit hard to read his situation because he's been battling a bit of a nagging injury and then, of course, sustained another injury. So it's been tough to read into what is going on between Tuchel and Delict. We did see some stories break last week indicating that, that Tuchel has several issues with how Delict plays. And it's tough for a lot of fans to process that because. When you watch Delict play last season, he was by far Bayern Munich's best center back, and it wasn't even close in my mind. Listen, I Dio Upamakano, with the exception of a couple of games, I thought had a great season as well. I, I just rated DeLict that much higher. Uh I, I in in reality, like it's great to come into a situation where DeLict, Dio Upamakano, and Kim Min-Jay are your three options at center back. By all means, like that's a, a great place for a club to start but it didn't make sense as to why Delict was suddenly out of favor. And it does kind of seem like Tuchel was not keen on Delict, that he wanted to ride out Upa Makano and Kim Min-Jay, but we had a couple of iffy performances there from Upa and Kim Min-Jay, who, by the way, fans, it's okay to criticize those players when when they're not at their best. Uh, It's become a little bit abrasive if you say anything. I'm not even talking about me, but anyone who – tries to say like Upa Makano or Kim and Jay has an off game. They, it's like they automatically get attacked. Simply not the case. You, they are going to have off games. They have had off games this season. Uh, Delict will have off games. But I think that and that's all key in Tuchel being able to manage those players and be able to figure out a way to maximize what they bring to the table and, and to rotate them. And And what concerns me most about Tuchel managing those players is he just doesn't seem willing or eager to to make that decision to rotate them and really get the best out of them. Um, And again, maybe that's driven by the fact that the Lick has been banged up and maybe like Muller, his injury is more nagging than we all thought it was. But those little things when you have. I don't want to call them issues, but when you have certain discrepancies between what a player appears to want, and what a coach appears to want with Big figures like Muller and Goretzka and DeLicht, those are the, the parts of Tuchel's management style that I worry about because those little things can cause cracks in the foundation of a season. I'm not saying that, that those situations are going to be the downfall of Tuchel or they're going to ultimately cause Bayern Munich to fail to achieve its goals. But Tuchel, over the course of his career has been marred by these little things and and enough cracks building up in a foundation that it eventually collapses for him. Uh, It starts with little things like making his mind up on a player like Goretzka and moving on before he could actually see what he had. Uh, Tuchel in some ways can be ultra abrasive in the way that he deals with players. And luckily right now he has not done that, but he's already, thrown some darts at the board and at the executives that, that have made them unhappy. So when we talk about why fans perceive him in a negative light, I think you look at those specific things and you look at the way that he's talked to and about the board and how he's interacted with some players and how he's used them. So that has turned some people off. And then there are also some people that have looked at his overall performance in terms of coaching this group and that it hasn't been as perfect as I think a lot of people would like. So I get why there has been a big segment that are unhappy with him. And there are people, including some on the BFW staff, who just don't think he's ultimately going to get Byron where they need to be. Uh, And there is some legitimacy to that in terms of how they think. It's not a shock to think that people are a little bit gun-shy about a coach at this stage. Thomas Tuchel is a a guy who, for all of his good qualities, has shown the ability to implode. And with that, fans are a little skeptical. At the same time, we have the pro-Tuchel crowd who can see the really good things that he's doing in developing this group of players. That group is making their argument based on how he's handled this small roster, how he's worked through the problems, and given solutions to each time that there's been an issue. And they can see that over the course of the last few weeks, Harry Kane's emergence is really going to to cover up a lot of the bad spots that Tuchel might create on his own because Kane is that good. And this roster is just filled with world-class talent. So whether you're a big fan of Tuchel or not, you b- might believe in him because he has this power behind him in this engine, and that if his tactics and if his football brain can power this group and lead them and get the results that he's been getting, people are that group of people are going to remain happy. And it's unfortunate that there, that there is this you know Hatfields versus McCoys when it comes to Tuchel. I know, like in a in a lot of ways, like I do fall right down the middle on this. I don't like Tuchel's management style with players. I do like that he's pushing the right buttons at this point of the season. When it comes down to, to what side would I be on, the Hatfields, the pro Tuchels, or the McCoys, the anti Tuchels, I would probably be the segment living in those hills, brewing moonshine. Okay. Like that's what I would be doing. I'd probably be staying out of the fight because right now I'm not really pro or anti. I'm just absorbing what he's doing right now. And over the course of the season, I'm sure I'll fall on one side of that fence. But right now, I think that he's done a lot of good things. And some of the bad things that he's done have been covered up because the team is operating so successfully at this point. So I know a lot of you have strong takes on Tuchel. You can drop them in the comments here or hit me up on social media because I'd love to hear them. Uh Tuchel as I've said many many times is is just a guy who is always going to create that kind of tension in a fan base because he's in so way in so many ways unlikable but in other ways is a person who I won't want to say commands respect but he he does garner the type of things that you you do want to respect him for his own ability and his ability to push a group of men to do great things which if you followed that Chelsea season where they won the Champions League, uh, it's still amazing to me that he was able to get what he did out of that group, especially coming in to that season where he did uh, in what looked like to be a disastrous spot. A couple of random thoughts to to end this episode of the uh, Weekend Warm-Up Podcast. Uh, it's not really football-related, but it's, it's me-related. So I, I think I've told this story before, uh, I, you know, I was scrolling through the news and I saw that uh, Terry Francona was going to retire from major league baseball. And I believe I've told this here. Uh, I did have an interaction once with uh, Terry Francona. And I, I think it's a, a funny story because it, 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 it tells you a lot about me. and It tells you a lot about him without really having to say a lot. When I was a 20 year old intern uh, for Comcast Spectacore, I was uh, given the job of taking an Eric Lindros signed jersey to the Richie Ashburn golf outing. So my big task for that day was to to be the person that took this autographed jersey. Of of course, Eric Lindros, one of the great all time flyers. Uh, Unfortunately, his career was really cut short by injuries, including a massive concussion problem. But at the time, he was one of the biggest stars in hockey, if not the biggest star. It was the summer of 97. The Flyers were just coming off of getting their doors blown off in the Stanley Cup finals by the Detroit Red Wings. So I was taking this jersey, which was obviously a very hot commodity, to this golf outing, which had an auction. So I had to go hang out there all day. They gave me the special badge. I was just kind of absorbing the thing. And at this event, it was mostly all local philadelphia sports celebrities many members of the phillies the eagles the flyers the sixers they were all there uh richie ashburn is a great all-time philly and had a charitable golf outing for years and years and as i said part of that was this auction which really does drive up uh really the the revenue that they're generating for donating to charity so As I was walking around the auction room, I found myself in this pretty big, I guess was a ballroom of this golf club that that I was at, and I found myself right next to, totally by accident, Terry Francona, who at the time was the manager of a a god-awful Phillies team. The Phillies of the late 90s were, were putrid. It was right after they had a little bit of a nice run there in the early 90s, the 93 Phillies, of course, losing to the Toronto Blue Jays in the World Series but they went totally downhill. And Francona was at that point, a, a hapless manager had could not get anything going. You know, he of course went on the greater things managing the Red Sox and later the Cleveland Indians uh, has really probably made his way into the baseball hall of fame with what he's done. But at that point was not a good manager, did not have a good team. And here I am right up next to him and at the time the Phillies were just about ready to go off for their first interleague series to play the Boston Red Sox. And I was going, I was taking the train up to Boston and I was going to go check it out. So as I pretty much bumped shoulder to shoulder with Francona and we're the only two in the room, we're in front of a pair of autographed Scott, Roland spikes. And I, like I said, I'm just killing time. I'm an intern. I'm just like trying to kill my day. So I'm looking at all the auction items and he was in there. And as you come to that awkward spot and, you know, it feels weird not to say anything, you know, one, I wasn't going to be a fanboy. I'm not really stargazer like that. So I I just said, Oh, uh, Hey Terry, I'm going to see you guys in in Boston this weekend. And he just looked at me and walked away and didn't say a word. And it was the biggest D bag move (laughs) I have ever encountered with anybody like that. Um, now, listen, I wasn't there. I wasn't going to ask him for an autograph. It was just an awkward like, hey, you, you kind of come up next to somebody, make eye contact, and you feel like you have to say something. And the fact that he just like looked at me with such disgust and walked away, that never left me. And listen, maybe he was having a bad day. Maybe, maybe he's just a real jerk. I, I don't know. But I always remember that story, mostly because I think it's funny. It's always something I tell my friends and it's become like a pretty notorious story among my group of friends because Terry Francona absolutely dissed me like that. Uh, so he's always held a, a spot in my heart, my, my cold black heart, uh, someone who I dislike since that moment. So uh, to see him retire. Uh, no love lost for me. Um, but you know, kudos to him on a great career anyway, despite the fact he dissed me face to face at a charity golf outing auction event. The other thing that it made me think of is one other awkward interaction. And this was not with any type of celebrity. But when I was a uh, office drone, and I used to go out every day and get coffee. And, you know, being the cube dweller, it's like you, you get like in a half hour for lunch or whatever. You just want to get away from your computer. And I know many of you can relate to that, especially if you were came up working in those early 2000s and what the office scene was like back then. Cubes, high wall cubes everywhere. You know, you're stuck in front of your computer. It's like, you know, just doldrums, right? Like everybody gets sick of that. So my big thing was every day at my lunchtime, I would go out, I would drive to the closest Wawa, I would get a coffee and like, you know, you're just kind of vegging out because you just want to be anywhere but work. So I'm filling my coffee and out of nowhere, there's this extremely attractive girl next to me. Now, I'm married at the time, so it's not like I'm out there looking, right? And certainly she was not interested in me. But again, you're right next to someone, you make eye contact. And she just said hi. And she's probably saying hi because she felt sorry for me because I probably looked like I wanted to, <laughs> to kill myself because I was just stuck in the, the, the middle of another boring workday. And as I'm sitting there putting the lid on my cup, I just have nothing to say. And I just say, good coffee. That's all I mustered out of my mouth. And the girl just smiled and walked away. And then I thought about that. And I'm like, what a moron. Again, not looking to hook up with the girl or anything. But it just, what an idiot. What kind of response is that when you're just even making casual conversation? Could have just said hi. Could have said, what's up? Could have said anything. Wasn't going to ask for digits, obviously, but I could have just said what's up or hi. No, I say good coffee, like some kind of caveman. So lesson learned from these two stories. If you're at like a social interaction and you bump into me and you say hi, one, I'll probably have some kind of stupid response. But two, if I bump shoulders with you and I say something to you and I initiate the conversation, just make sure you look at me with disgust and walk away. And then I'll know you heard the Terry Francona story. So that'll about do it for that. I just wanted to uh, tie you guys into those stories and, and wrap those up with a bow. That uh, kind of popped into my head once again. So hopefully you enjoyed uh, hearing about how inept I am socially and, and why I'm an idiot. So uh, you can get me at the Barrel Blog on Twitter. You can get the site at Bavarian fb works you can get our tweetmeister tom adams at tommy adams 71 you can also get i need no name at bfwin and n and you can get siler at C Y L three R. I don't know why he did it that way. I'll have to talk to him about his Twitter handle because it makes it difficult for me to do this, but check him out on Twitter as well. Give him a follow. And as always, you can get all of our great podcasters and writers at Bavarian Have a great weekend. Enjoy the match. Have a couple of beers on me and we'll see you next time.